Today's episode is sponsored by Steiger Dynamics. To help support the podcast, please check out the links in the show notes or in the description below the video, depending on where you're watching or listening. Hello, friends, bass players. What's happening? Musicians of the world. It's the Yannick Wizdala podcast. So much to get into. First and foremost, um, I got an email from Peter Erskine, who you may have remembered. I interviewed a couple of weeks ago for the podcast, and he had mentioned playing on this um, Rick Margitza album, Blue Note album in the 90s, and had mis- uh, um, um, he misremembered who the guitar player was on it. It was Steve Masakowski. He wanted me to put a quick correction in the podcast about that. It's also an amazing album. I'll link it in the show notes and in the description of the video. Um, Mark, it's, Rick is a good friend of mine, and we, we used to play a bunch together in New York and uh, stay in touch now and again. He lives out in Paris, but that's a, a beautiful album, one of my favorite albums of all time. Um, and like Pete said, one of his favorite albums to play on and one of his favorite songs of all time on that record as well. So definitely worth checking out. That's the correction. That's the housekeeping out of the way. <clears throat> um, let's get into some other... St- Whoa, the camera is freaking out. What's going on with the camera? Wow. Really freaking out. Very strange. Camera was shuddering now. I got it on the slider here. wonder what's going on with that. Maybe we give it a little pause and maybe restore. Okay. I've been out of the studio for so long and like firing up all the all the gear that I haven't used in a couple of weeks. It's probably user error on my part. I always default to that. It's normally if something is going wrong, it's generally down to me. But I've never experienced that. Hopefully, hopefully we're okay for the rest of the episode. Um, had a weird one at my gig on... When was that Thursday? A few days ago now. Threw on some new strings right before going to sound check. So brand new set of strings, which is anyone who listens to a podcast or follows me, you know that is nothing weird at all. I like to change my strings a lot. But something happened, and I'm not sure what with the tension and it felt like maybe it was a C string that was mislabeled and was actually a G like the G and the C strings felt really similar in gauge and the tension felt a lot um, tighter which that would you know story would check out if that were the case but I I put them on the magnifying glass they're definitely definitely different tensions So I don't know, after all these years, I'm still finding, still finding weirdness in, uh, you know, it it happens to all of us, no matter how much you think you know your gear or no matter how long you've been doing it, there's always potential for something weird to crop up like that. Um, It kind of never ceases to amaze me that that is always an option and you kind of get complacent. I, I get complacent a little bit with the pedals. I give the TSA and baggage handlers way too much credit at the beginning of a tour. Like, oh, it's going to be fine this time. And you get like three shows in and five flights and you're like, oh, pedal board's destroyed again. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, definitely got to come up with a, with a new solution for the pedal board. That's going to be a video coming in probably about six weeks time as I get geared up for the, for some summer touring with vital information. 
Um, that's yeah, that's going to be a bit of a project. Trying just trying to really guard against people who throw your shit around mercilessly uh, when it's in um, in transit. Man, so there's something going on every time the camera gets to the same place. I wonder why that is. There's something weird going on with it. So for people watching on YouTube, you might think there's an earthquake <laughs> happening. If that does it on the next pass, I'm just going to stop it in the middle and leave it stationary. Still experimenting with this stuff and seeing how much sort of production value it brings to the podcast. Not sure yet. Definitely brought some to some recent videos. Um, but yeah, what was I saying? The, 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 the pedal board. Yeah, definitely need a solution to where things... I mean, is it almost where I've got to like put bolts through the base plates of the pedals and literally screw them to the uh to the pedal board it's not the fault of the pedal board i dig the vertex effects board with the riser on it it's been fantastic um just everything kind of gets shaken up so much i was either reading or watching or listening to something about american football players how you know wearing a helmet is is whatever because the helmet will really only stop you getting lacerations you know getting like open wounds when you get hit the, the head the brain is still and and hey I'm, I'm not a doctor here never went to school didn't take any classes that would give me any authority to to speak on this but as far as i know the brain is sitting in some kind of fluid and if you take a hit to the head even if you were in a crash helmet whereas it might help you not get you know your head your skull split open is still going to take the brain is still going to take a lot of pounding inside as it bounces off the skull and i kind of feel that's what's happening with the pedal board you know I'm, i have this amazing pelican case the 1510 which is super rugged um but but it's no use if the tsa people actually open the case and never clip it back together again i on the you know a couple of weeks ago came i arrived somewhere i think it was medford in oregon and the pelican case was literally open like both clasps were undone and the lid was off and there was a pedal on the, I think the volume pedal was out on the conveyor belt and the pedal board was spewing half out of the, uh, out of the Pelican case. So it's just, I need a solution. Um, if anyone has ideas, if you have some experience in this, not that I don't have experience, that's the, that's the frustrating thing. I've been doing this for years and years and years and still haven't come up with the, with the ideal situation. Maybe it's more, foam maybe i should have like a real kind of like foam insert like a cutout perhaps to go under the rider and, and inside the lid of the uh of the pelican case maybe that is uh okay so this this slider thing is not happening we are going to pause just going to leave it right there so i apologize to all the people watching on youtube that <laughs> felt the earthquake happening I'm just gonna leave it right there in the center for now troubleshoot after i'm done filming yeah i'm not sure if it's a foam insert maybe some people out there are using that to really keep things locked in that sounds like it will be complicated to make and will be ever that's the other thing it will be ever changing depending on which pedals are on the board um so even that i see as a good solution i don't see it as a perfect solution because if i want to switch out a pedal or change the board which i'm about to do then i've got to recut a new foam thing which is kind of a pain in the ass um I'm also thinking and feeling like I want to go back to having the MIDI switcher on the board. It'd be really useful. I miss that sort of the multi-layered functionality of the of the HX Stomp and the H9. 
I feel like I want deeper access into both of those units. I'm kind of using the H9 just for reverb and using the HX Stomp just for harmonizer when both of them can do like a million other things. So maybe I've got to, maybe I've got to give up the mood or I've got to give up the dark world or some pedal, some combination of pedals and, uh, bite the bullet and get those, get that MIDI, MIDI switcher back on the, on the board. There's always that thing of like limited amounts of, of hand access then if you commit to like foot access you sort of diminish the hand access the twiddling of knobs sort of becomes less and less so i don't know there's the there is the option of having the ipad for the h9 having the ipad up on a music stand or something i've just always shied away from having any kind of tabletop desktop thing i really hate that i also think it takes away from the performance as well so yeah, it's a weird one. Something I've definitely got to troubleshoot. And, and we'll have kind of limited time to do it, unfortunately, as I prepare for the new album. And we'll probably, I would love to just have a set pedal board in the studio when we go to Argentina to record in August, but it's probably going to end up being a little more like it was in Spain last year, where I take a couple of Pelican cases full of loose pedals and uh, and build sounds on the spot as as they as the need comes up um it's good it's not going to be as straight up improvised as the last album I'm actually going down there with a lot of written material or at least i will be going down there with a lot of written material once i've written it um so i'm really kind of looking forward to the compositional element which after this month of mayhem i think april kind of signifies the end of the chaos I actually get May and half of June to really sit down and dig into the writing. Um, I don't know how many people read or heard or saw the most recent Substack post um, about what you can get out of listening to yourself. I know I talk about that a lot, recording your practice, recording your gigs and how that affects my process and, and how I use that feedback to improve my playing. But the if you go on you know, com. It's linked below. It's in the show notes. It's in the video description. You can check out that, that post. And I kind of break down a little bit what I'm hearing in my performance and what, um, what I can do to improve upon it and how it helps me build confidence when it's a positive thing. You know, this was, I was highlighting a positive moment where I was like, Oh, I remember there being something uh, good about that. And I, I remember getting to something new, feel, feeling quite free in the in the moment on stage, uh, which can be rare sometimes if you get in a bit of a rut and um, you're sort of forcing the issue. Finding a moment of freedom is, is, is a great thing. And that's what I felt. And I listened back, you know, I've got, been getting in the habit of putting the iPhone um, up close, sometimes on a music stand or, or just close by and hitting record. So I actually have it in the phone. I don't have to go through the process of extracting the audio from the video camera and using the computer. I actually have it like right there um, immediately and just labeling it well in the voice recorder and going back and maybe starring things or favoriting things that I want to go back and listen to. And that was a positive moment. Um, and as you, you know, I'm sure you're aware by now, um, I'm no stranger to sharing negative moments as well. I think they're just, if not more important than the positive ones, because you, I think you can learn a lot more from them. It actually gives you something to work towards, you know, an issue to, an issue to improve, an issue to, uh, you know, to find a solution to. Um, but this one happened to be a positive one. So go check that out. You can dig into, uh, dig into that kind of process in detail. Um, and all that to say, 
the reason I'm, I'm mentioning that is that what I have been doing, even though I haven't sort of sat down and had dedicated writing sessions for the new album yet, I have been chopping up little clips and little ideas and putting them in a folder in the phone. So it's just labeled Argentina and I can keep going there and shuffling things around and getting an idea of where am I going? Do I want to go more this direction, more that direction? And there are some incredibly diverse things in there. There's some like genty kind of almost periphery animals as leaders ideas that I was working on maybe three years ago in the beginning of the pandemic. That was something I'd never had the time to explore that sound personally and, you know, using the dark glass stuff and really, you know, tuning the bass down and playing with a heavy pick and, you know, checking out people like Adam, Nolly, Get Good and just that kind of sound. And, you know, it's always been in my ear, like having known Tosin for, for quite a while, for 10 years or more now, Tosin Abassi from Animals as Leaders and kind of got the time, you know, we all got some time off there, <laughs> 2020 especially. So I've, I've actually dropped a couple of those ideas into the Argentina folder, um, even though like my over uh, the the overarching thing that I'm thinking about is actually writing for a choir and trying to uh, translate all these beautiful voicings into into voices and add the trio to that, um, you know, with some pretty in depth composition. Um, so not only is there sort of heavy, genty, you know. Uh, kind of detuned kind of stuff but there's some quite delicate things there as well so i'm just building that little folder again even though i haven't like written a song for the album yet that's sort of the progress uh, how i'm able to make progress when everything else is so insane and i can get on the plane and as i have been you know traveling the past few weeks with steve and really dedicate some time to listening and sort of gathering my thoughts and and, and finding a focus and of course that is all subject to change as well i might go to argentina and throw it all out the window and start again from scratch right in the moment i don't know but at least this time my concept is to be more prepared compositionally that at least right now as i speak in the middle of april what are we something april the 10th or something right now 2023 that's where my brain's at and what i'm going to do with the with the substack with the blog is kind of give some updates you know through april may june july um like these four months i'll be able to update you i'll be able to share demos and there's some pretty um i'm gonna be pretty exposed on, on these demos they're rough around the edges but um if you're not if you haven't already signed up for the mailing list do that because that is where i'll be sharing those things and you'll get to see exactly what happens i'll sort of let you inside the process in real time and we could go from, you know, some just just picking two notes on the instrument. It could be really that simple. Uh, that's often how a composition starts, you know. sure if it's the new headphones let me take one ear yeah it's really weird this tension the string tension thing is really really bothering me i'm not sure what is going on i think i probably need a, a setup and to sort of just start from scratch again with a with a new setup not a new bass i mean just having this bass set up um by a professional 
rather than all of the crazy temperature changes it's been through with the minus whatever up in the northwest and then the out in the desert in arizona and uh upper altitude in certain places yeah like it's been it's been through the mill and then i'll go to the east coast in june and it will be super humid and we'll be driving the entire tour so it's going to be interesting um how it holds up and exactly what the issue is as well i might just i might try it's so weird that 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 c string is just so the tension is so much i i gotta believe that that's a that's a g string and it's just been mislabeled the single string that really is what it feels like it's so fucking weird if i had one close a c string i would change it right on the podcast here and uh let you know um and it's just just the sound is weird as well i think that the action has come up even higher and it's really not close enough to the pickup so so kind of even as a thicker string it gets sort of thinned out in the high end yeah so weird um so what was i talking about yeah the, the the recording and that whole process i think it's important to be aware of or, or let's see every everyone is different first of all so let's preface this by saying that and there's no sort of sort of one size fits all i just think that sometimes and th- i <laughs> i don't think this i know this because this sort of describes me early on this is why i made so many albums and didn't release them because i wasn't happy with them um i didn't i didn't throw them away and still go to the studio and make music um i really just like focused in on this is the album these are the tunes and this our time has to be spent doing this even when it was quite clear in the moment sometimes that the tunes weren't working out and that wasn't really the right sound or the right approach um, I think people don't often understand that you can bail on the idea at any time and you will probably benefit from that hugely. Um, I'm going to guess that isn't there something like that if you're offered a um, what is it if you if you if you are offered a choice of three things and you choose I'm saying this all wrong. This is like such in the in the back in the recesses of my mind that I've read about this. Basically, if you're given an option, um, like let's say there are three cards and one of them is green and two of them are red and you have to find the green one. Um, if you pick one out of the three and it's not the green one, it's the red one. And then you're given... Fuck, I'm, I'm saying this so upside down. But basically it means... If you change your original choice, you have a higher chance of a favorable outcome. I think that's what I'm getting at here. Maybe I'm completely full of shit and I'm misremembering it, but I think that's basically what I'm getting at is if you change your original choice, you have a much higher chance of a more favorable outcome. And regardless of my bullshit analogy or wherever I'm (laughs) dredging that up from in my brain, that's how I feel about the recording process and about going into the studio and about making music. Um... I always am ready to just let go of everything and leave it behind and, and, and actually not even generate, not even be married to generating more information myself, but be open to suggestion from other people. 
Um, I know that I haven't, I've written for voices before and done a lot of like close vocal writing, but more in a pop sense or a commercial sense. I've never really uh, done it for this kind of choir, like this kind of Eric Whittaker style, you know, probably going to be an eight piece four men, four women, and then layered maybe up to 24, maybe 32. I'm not sure. It's going to sound quite big, but very delicate. So I've never really done that, uh, especially not for myself, for my own music. As if you've listened to any of my music, you know, there are, there, there, only, there are only vocals on like two or three things I've ever put out, two or three songs, literally not even albums. So I know that when I go to the studio, I'm going to be, you know, eyes open, ears open, mouth shut, and listening to, you know, what, what other people with perhaps more experience than me in that area have to say about it. And um, that's just one small example of, of going into a situation, uh, being aware of the fact that it's not something you've done thousands of times before. And like, I'm not a vocal arranger, I'm not a vocal producer as my, that's not my main gig. Um, so I'll take the experience I do have as a producer and the vocal work I have done and try and take on board as much information from other people as possible. And hopefully that will result in the favorable outcome we're, we're all looking for collectively as a group. And it's something I'll discuss with Juan Pablo at great length before we even go in there, my engineer, and figure out you know exactly how to achieve the goal uh, based on the framework we're working within, which is the four days, which is the specific studio, the singers. What I really want to do is get good demos, good mock-ups before we go. Um, not just for the vocal stuff, but I've been thinking about this a lot. And this is also something cool I can share with you guys as well through the blog, through the mailing list is, um, you know, what these demos sound like. MIDI demos. I, I hear people sometimes like, oh no, MIDI demos, the groan. It's just like, oh, it's not music. But it, what it will do is give like the roadmap of where we're going and I want to be able to send that to Tom and Nico and maybe even have them record stuff over it at home. You know, Tom has, Tom will have at home far uh, access to far more instruments um, than he'll be able to bring with him to Argentina. So if there's a, like a little boutique keyboard that's maybe good for one section of one song, it's not worth shipping all the way to Argentina, but if I have the song form together and I can get him to record that at home, it will be something we can, we can take the audio to Argentina and play live too. So kind of really looking forward to that side of the process. Really, it's a, it's, it's a long, it's, it's a longer process because I'm going to spend some months doing the writing now, but I'm still going to be fairly quick, fairly rapid when it comes to the, the, the final production process. From the time we start day one in the studio until the time the album comes out, it's still only going to be maybe two months max. And the only reason it's going to be that long is because I'm allowing myself time. Unlike last time, I really set a very, very fast um, release date after recording, which was not as bad because it was mostly improvised and I knew I wouldn't have to do much work on it after we left Spain. But this time I'm affording myself a couple of months at least um, because there are just so many unknown quantities. Like if I get down there and the choir isn't happening the way I heard it or my writing isn't good enough, I might have to reassess that. Um, perhaps do sessions elsewhere, uh, maybe back here in Los Angeles, who knows. So I'm definitely giving myself a little more uh, breathing space there, a little more work time to get the best result of course i want to deliver the best result to you to to the to the public to anyone who who is interested in listening to the music so that is 
big focus. And again, I can't re- reiterate this enough. I'm completely okay with. Maybe I even get the choir in there for a day and we record, and then it's not what I wanted. I'm, I know already before I've even written a note of music that I'm totally okay with ditching all the music as well. So it's. I know that sounds kind of crazy, and there's money involved, and it's like, well, you know, maybe you have questions like, well, why? You know, why are you trying to do this in the first place if you don't know if it's going to work out? Um, that's kind of exactly why. If I knew what the result was going to be, it'd be so boring. Like if I knew like, okay, let's, let's just pick another album. Like Theatre by the Sea, for instance, from 2014. Um, I know I could write 10 songs in that style. I know I could go with those exact musicians and it would sound very, very similar and it would be good. You know, the the music would be good, but it would be kind of the same as before and it would be sort of formulaic at that point because it was copying something and it would be sort of a foregone conclusion. Maybe you get a couple of outstanding performances in the moment, but there's no mystery to it at all. And this way, I know it's on a slightly bigger scale. We're traveling to the other side of the world and involving orchestration that I haven't used before as an artist. Uh, there are much bigger elements at play here, but the the underlying, like the fundamentals of it are still like, I, I don't want to know. Uh, I don't want to be able to hear the finished product all shiny and, and shrink wrapped and, you know, packaged. Um, ahead of time i want to have a good idea you know i, I want to realize some of my um thoughts and some of my uh, ideas and 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 some of my music but i want there to be that element of mystery involved um and that is sort of what keeps me coming back for more you know especially when you know there's a lot of talk about budget and stuff and i've been Talking about the pre-sale, which is happening. I keep doing this, wait until halfway through the podcast to mention that. That is also linked below in the description of the video or in the show notes if you're just listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. <coughs> the pre-sale is going on. It's 25 bucks. Every single pre-sale of the album helps towards uh, realizing the sort of uh, the epicness of the project. Um, it helps me to commit to, uh, to doing it as well, of course, because I don't want any... Uh, disappointed or disgruntled customers or fans um and it also the whole thing speaks to the fact that i keep going back for more regardless as i keep saying regardless of the cost and regardless of the outcome so again it's not a crowd-funded project it's just um involving the audience in the process a little earlier than the release date and yes absolutely all the money from the pre-sale does go towards uh, does go towards the album i'm not not putting gas in my car from album pre-sales <laughs> um but yeah there's no sort of financial goal uh needed to be hit in order to green light the project the project is happening um and so far it's awesome i gotta thank everyone for getting involved um and the, the pre-sales have been awesome so far and long may they continue that definitely helps make it all possible you know this is a big project there are flights from europe to argentina from the u.s to argentina there's a studio an engineer director of photography film crew uh mixing mastering promotion artwork is that there are a lot of layers as i'm sure most of you if not all of you are aware there are many layers um and kind of the success or not of the pre-sale really helps determine 
you know how how big the project ends up being i'm not like banking money uh i'm not i'm not planning on there first of all i'm not planning on making any money from the project that's uh, i probably should have said that first and there's no like oh well we didn't use all the money from the pre-sale let's put it aside for the next thing no it's like very much this is the project there may never be another album i mean i i already want to make two three albums a year for the rest of my life but again i'm fully aware that through unforeseen circumstances that i might not know about yet there may never be another album again so everything's all in on this which it makes it exciting you know and it, as the things slowly fall into place like this flight thing and then booking the studio and then oh we're going to get this musician and that person and uh, it, i just get more and more excited the closer it gets and the the closer we get to just being in the same room so the most important part of the entire thing for me is just all of us being in that room um creating the music and that's uh, i was i was kind of on the fence of whether to talk about this uh on this episode of the podcast but this kind of like dovetails pretty well into something that's in the back of my mind you know i've talked a lot recently about youtube and kind of going all in on youtube and getting rid of social media and um oh, yeah okay i'm getting comfortable here <laughs> i'm getting a pillow uh i'm definitely gonna talk about it why not yeah i've been really pretty vocal about ditching social media going all in on youtube and why i'm doing that i was on the scott's bass lessons podcast recently if you haven't checked that out we talked for about two hours about the whole thing we have actually big differences of opinion on, on a lot of things actually but it w what it highlighted on that interview was that we the three uh, ian martin allison scott divine and myself have um they have actually they have differences of opinion as well i think Shit, it was a long podcast and it was a while ago, so I'm, it was a couple of months ago. I'm not remembering everything 100%, but it, it made for a, um, an interesting discussion, I think. And we have very different opinions on social media and what's required in 2023 and beyond and what isn't. And my lane is obviously going with YouTube and starting this podcast channel, having the clips channel, and then really focusing on like shorter, high quality content on the main channel in order to grow the audience sell more concert tickets and make more tours happen that's the ultimate goal is to really be really have the option to be a serious touring artist uh in 2023 and beyond um, which is not easy at all i gotta say um even with an agent now in europe it is very slow going and um kind of slim pickings as well in terms of the offers that are coming in for shows and we've had some great ones and we will have a tour in november which i'm really looking forward to but it's not like you know i don't have my free pick of every venue or every city i want to play in in europe for instance despite having i, I know you guys and girls are out there despite having a lot of fans in a lot of places um I might not be able to sell 800 tickets everywhere, but I know the 150 to 200 ticket mark per night is completely doable. And that's sort of where I need to live right now. That's like really possible. You know, you do 200 tickets at $30 a ticket. The maths work out quite simply. You know, you do some sort of door split on a $6,000, take six grand across the door and you do a door split, 80, 20, um, shit even a horrific door split like 50 50 still leaves you 3k on the night it's not enough you know it isn't enough in to cover all the overhead if there are no hotels and no travel included that all 
adds up, especially if the traveling party, I mean, I know I only have a trio, but my plan is to travel with a video person. So it's going to be a traveling party of four. That's four hotel rooms every night at at least 200 bucks a night. So that's 800 of your budget gone. That's four flights or four train tickets. You know, you guys can add up. It all it all culminates in quite a big overhead cost. So even though $3,000 a night, that's $21,000 a week if you play every night. That sounds like an, a fabulous amount of money. It sounds like uh, an un- inconceivable amount of money. You're like, oh, you guys are a trio and you're making twenty one grand a week. Well, not really. Um, you could do a 75-25 split and make it more like 4500 per gig for the band. And that is kind of getting more in line with being able to pay the musicians what they're worth. I'm a really big believer in that. I don't think that musicians on the road like that are playing at that level should be making less than 750 a night, for instance. So I don't want to blow up anyone's spot or expose wages and salaries and all that kind of stuff. But I think $750, euros, they're kind of similar. The pound is a little bit different, but that's I, – I live in America. I operate in dollars. I think that is a reasonable rate for musicians of that caliber. Tom and Nico are world-class at what they do, and I think they deserve that, that kind of – that level of respect when it comes to, um, you know, financial – compensation and that's that's my goal you know so already to just to spend you know fifteen hundred dollars on two musicians per night you know plus a video person who might be charging four or five hundred dollars a day that's already two grand a day to pay three people plus eight hundred dollars uh for hotels potentially that's already twenty eight hundred so you can see it starts to evaporate pretty quickly and then you don't really want to play seven nights a week so you're not really making 21 grand a week. Maybe you're playing five nights a week and, 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 you know, it, it all, it's a big soup of, uh, of numbers and a big juggling act of like trying to make all the, the, the many, many moving parts work. Um, and they do, they do work out and it is possible to make it work and it is possible to do it with, you know, relatively, relatively smaller numbers of people like that. I think the sweet spot for me is 200. I think that's a great number of people. It's a great size venue for right now. Of course, I'd love to be playing theaters and five, six, seven, 800, maybe 1500 here and there festivals, which are a completely different metric and, you know, often pay far more money than, than a door money gig. But as you can see, just from this basic, uh, sort of mock-up verbal mock-up of what it takes to go on the road, um, it is possible to do it with 200 or just under 200 people a night at a ticket you know price point of 30 I, th- I think 30 dollars is reasonable i'd love to hear your feedback on this i've asked before like maybe a year ago and people were like yeah 30 is cool i'd even pay 40 or 45 um but i see some venues charging you know 17 or 18 or some venues even charging 10 or 12 in europe which is i think that's Maybe if it's a jam session, okay, or if it's a really local act or something, I don't know. But like, you can't tour as a international touring artist and that be the cover charge. I think that's ridiculous. And then I see the extreme end of that in terms of smaller jazz clubs. Ronnie Scott's is not that small, but I think it's maybe two twenty cap or two thirty cap a uh, per set. Maybe it's two fifty some, somewhere in there, and they charge up to fifty fifty five pounds a ticket. Plus you, you you eat and it's like a hundred pound night per person and their door split is horrific. You know, they'll take 50,000 pounds on the door easy in one night if you sell it out and give you less than 10%. So I think that's, uh, yeah, 
that's a really shit deal. And I think that's like maybe more of an entry level, maybe a first timer kind of deal, but you know, they could do 50 50, which is still a terrible deal. And you could actually make real money then. Imagine walking out from one show with $20,000, for instance. That would be amazing. And it's that, and that's not unreasonable when you consider the bigger picture and how much you're making. You know, that's just on the door. You know, if they make 40 grand on the door, you take half, but then they make another 30 just in food and drink, you know, because it's not a cheap place to eat. Really, it really kind of highlights how, how little musicians are willing to take without considering, you know, exactly what the vet, what kind of numbers the venue is doing. And I don't want to, I don't give a shit about, oh, well, it's in the center of town. It's high price and rent and all that bullshit. doesn't matter. You, you have to, you know, 10% of the door is not a fair deal. I don't care how high your rent is. 50% of the door is not a fair deal. I don't care how high your rent is, you know? So yeah, a lot, a lot of numbers moving around there. And, um, yeah, then you throw in a festival or two and maybe you, you can take eight, nine, 10 grand for a festival if it's big enough. And if you are big enough as a name, I am not, not now anyway, but you know, you look at it's just bass players, Marcus Miller, Richard Bona, Victor Wooten. They're not messing around with, with festival, uh, festival fees. Those really help a tour out. Um, I think it also kind of skews the the numbers when it comes to smaller venues as well. And that musicians, I know I've done it in the past, like I'm far more willing to play. Let's see. I mean, Jamboree rings a bell, uh, comes to mind ra- rather in Barcelona because I used to play there all the time. And it was always two nights, at, but they paid the hotel, which was great. And Pierre would take us to dinner, which was fantastic each night. So there were definitely some some nice benefits to that. Um, but the gig didn't really pay much. Didn't, it definitely didn't pay enough for the quartet. But it was always like a Monday, Tuesday sort of off night, if you will. So you were guaranteed food and hotels and a gig that did pay, even if it didn't pay that much, on on what you might consider taking nights off. And it was in the same place, so you didn't have to travel. So there are those things where you do sort of accept a gig at a smaller venue because you love to play there. And then the festival or the bigger gig you have later in the week helps offset uh, the money you didn't make and you still get to pay everyone their salary regardless of the size of the show. So, um, yeah, those, there are all of those metrics to take into account. And maybe the bigger gigs sort of skew what smaller venues feel they're able to get away with paying you. So, yeah, it's it's a very interesting world and it is not the floodgates are not opening just because I have an agent. You know, I, I don't have the option of 50 different venues. Maybe I have the option of 15 different venues and really I need at least 12 shows. So that's not really a lot of stuff to say no to. Um, and even then that people are dragging their heels in terms of committing to it, you know, venue owners and promoters. So it's, uh, it's a long road. It's not, you know, me starting to do way more on the YouTube channel and try and grow the audience, which has grown by thousands and thousands of subscribers in the last couple of months. I can't thank you guys enough for that. Um, and if you're not subscribed to the main channel, please go and do that. It really helps. Even just like hitting the thumbs up on a, on a video. You don't even have to take the time to leave a comment. All of that really helps because it helps show the, the material and the music to, um, to other people, to, to a wider audience. And that's when we get sort of that like critical mass. I, 
you know, I'm trying to get to 100,000 subscribers by the end of this month. It's already the 10th. This is a big ask. And when I'm only at like maybe 74 or 75,000, that's a lot of people to get cranky on the main channel between now and the end of the month. That was the goal that I set in January. And although I've added, I don't know, eight or 9,000 new subscribers in the past couple of months, which is more than, you know, more than I normally do sometimes in a year, um, which is great. It's amazing. It's definitely not going to get me to that sort of tipping point, that critical mass where the audience says, oh, you know what? We kind of dig what's going on in this channel. And oh, shit, you know, if we can convert 10% of the subscribers on YouTube to concert goers you know to ticket buying concert goers who are like oh wow actually i love this and i want to go check it out live oh and he's coming to my town holy shit let's go do it like that's the point yeah that's the point that people like you know uh, adam neely are at with a man he's got one point something million followers on their subscribers on youtube it, it makes sense you know if he can convert 10% of subscribers to concert tickets and charge $30 a ticket or whatever it might be, that's an insane income from uh, from touring. That's also selling 170,000 tickets a year. That's absolutely mental. So, um, yeah, even if it's 5% of subscribers that you can convert to people who want to come out to a concert, that is the focus. That has been the focus since I started this new push and will continue to be so. And uh, that was something that wasn't, I wasn't getting from Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at all. It was very, very minimal. A tiny fraction of 1% of the people that were supposedly engaged on the platform ever sort of made it out to show. So the workload versus the reward was definitely uh, in favor of ditching the social media and just going to a platform like YouTube where I can really kind of concentrate on making sort of films and talking about things in longer form like i am here and summer just arrived amazingly in uh, early april in california and it's got it got super dry again thanks my throat is not thanking uh thanking the weather for that um but yeah i want to hear back from people we're still like obviously booking the tour like crazy um trying to get things happening uh first is going to be south america just a little bit there are only going to be a few shows i really i'm so close to being able to tell you when and where like what venues and which days exactly it's all going to be around the first week of august i can't wait for that i really need to work on my spanish so i can do the tour in spanish and speak spanish to the audience and really have confidence with that so that's going to be a side project over the next few months is really really figuring out some um some more fluent spanish to speak to my speak to the fans in and i'm screwed if we go to brazil because i don't speak any portuguese but um we're trying to book one show at the blue note in um in sao paulo um while we're down there it seems like such a shame to go all the way down to that part of the world and not stop in brazil as it is a shame not to stop in peru and bolivia and colombia and just a whole um Latino America it's like would be amazing to play everywhere but unfortunately just don't have the time and in most places don't have the connections yet so it looks like Buenos Aires uh, Montevideo and Sao Paulo probably four shows total and then the four days in the studio recording um, and I'll give you so many updates on the blog that's what that's all about the Substack, the mailing list whatever you want to call it um, that will be yeah, I, I'm, I can't wait to get these demos done. I'm really, I would just wish I had more time right now. And um, going on the road, like being on tour always sort of sets things back. And, you know, number one priority is really sort of concentrating on the family once I'm back home rather than being away working and then coming back and just ignoring everything. I really 
have to spend some time. Plus, I have family from the UK visiting, so it's like extra, extra, extra this week. Um, so the whole thing about practicing away from the instrument could not be more important right now. And the, these voice memos, see, last night I had like, I had about half a liter of gas left in the tank. <laughs> um, when I got into bed, I put the headphones in and I started listening back to a couple of things. Um <laughs> This is the thing I posted in the in the Substack. But I just did a little a little looping solo with the harmonizer and I'm really getting to grips with um the sort of the pressure I have to use with the right hand is like a quite a technical thing in order to get the sound out of it that I'm hearing. And that that just came together in that moment. And it wasn't something I'd really been practicing or even doing on the road with Steve Smith. And for whatever reason, it came together just in that moment at the right time for me to be able to um, sort of create the thing I was hearing. And that whole real versus feel thing kind of came into alignment more than it had uh, in a long time and it's, it's nice to hear that it is one on one thing it's like really satisfying to hear it like whoa i heard it in my head and then i played it and then when i listened back like the next day it was kind of the same thing that's like whoa it worked all these years or like all, all this work it actually worked what do you know um so it's like that's great um but then you go like oh well, shit, what do I do now? <laughs> like that worked and I, now I have to feel for it and I know I can recreate that anytime I want. So it's now a, a pretty, of course, I've got to develop it and I've got to repeat it, use repetition to ingrain that into my muscle memory a little more. But now I know how to do it and I know I have done it. The confidence, the confidence is there to work on it and the motivation is there to work on it. But it's like, it's now it's a known entity. So it goes back to that thing of like not wanting to really know what the album's going to sound like before I've recorded it. It's this kind of the same with my playing. I, I want that. If I could find one moment like that every night, oh, could you imagine? You know, where you find something new. I mean, there's such a big ask. It's an impossible ask to find something completely new every night. And that wasn't even completely new. Yeah. It's a weird one. It's like a weird dynamic where you... I kind of resign myself to the fact that, yeah, it's going to be like 98% shit I kind of already know. But the more I can move that percentage down, the better. That's always what I'm trying to do. It's like, well, one night it's like, yeah, okay, it's 95%. I knew all this stuff. But then the next night, well, it was only 85%. And that's like a huge amount of headroom there to experiment and to explore. And the sometimes... And don't get me wrong. Sometimes I've been in the, the single digits of I didn't know anything. And like, wow, I have 95% of room to play with right here. Wow, that's that's really freeing. And of course, that that's has mostly been on my own gig because I get to call all the shots. You know, um, if you look at like the Vital Information Tour, for instance, as much as I said, in, um, when did I say that? Maybe in a, another blog post last week when I got back sort of assessing the tour, I, I was saying it feels like it's almost a co-band leader gig, even though it's Steve's band since 40 years. He's the band leader. He's the boss. His name, the buck stops wherever he is. Um, but he gives us this amazing freedom to be creative. So it's one of the few gigs, um, kind of like Bob Reynolds as well. Like we know each other so well, uh, although it's Bob's name on the bill. 
the four of us as a band now have been playing together so long we really are sort of co-band leaders in that sense and he uh, affords us the freedom to call tunes and to go wherever we want with a tune and anyone can call a shot at any time basically and no one nobody else's ego will get in the way and say no and i think that's that's very similar with steve and it, it's quite rare so it, but it, but again, uh, to, to, all that to say, even in that amazing situation, you still know that like sixty or seventy percent of the gig is going to be quite similar to the way it was before. If if only because the compositions are, are going to be from the same pool, from the same book. Um, so it really takes uh, being a band leader, and then. Uh, I was going to say being brave enough, maybe being stupid enough, I don't know, um, to go on stage with no set list and no song choice and no plan. Then you really get into the single digits of uh, repetitiveness. Then it's hardly anything is the same as the night before. And um, yeah, the times I've really experienced that, like the clean slate, the completely clean slate every night to create is, I think, only happened as a band leader. Um, and I would like to think I was creating that opportunity for anyone who plays in my band as well that we have the option to do that because i trust my musicians whoever it is i'm playing with me like nobody gets on the stage uh with me in my band uh that i don't like fully trust that's um whenever you come out and see me there have been times in the past where i've made poor choices um but uh like i i highly doubt i'm gonna make poor choices about musicians again maybe because i'm so prepared to just say "Ah, i'd rather not do the gig um i'd rather say no to the tour or no to the show if if the musicians aren't right and if the creative situation isn't sort of optimal um i'm not 22 anymore where i have to say yes to everything and i'm not like i don't need that um that sort of early stage uh, experience that is so important um in becoming a band leader I have other things that I'm still learning about band leader. Don't worry, I'm not. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't um, finished that class. That class is uh, never ending, basically, and I, it's kind of amazing how much there is still to learn. I'm constantly amazed. Like, oh wow, didn't see that coming. Been doing this however many decades and did not see that coming for the life of me. It's like, oh damn. So it's always humbling. It always kind of knocks me down a few pegs, which is great. I think that's really healthy just you it's not healthy to have like negative uh experiences that that really like shake your confidence and and don't and 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 prevent you from having fun or or make you not want to go out and do it again i think it's good to have negative experiences um that you can see past i think regardless of a missed flight or pedal board gets destroyed or a gig gets cancelled or any of those common things that that happen on the road you can sort of see past them and it's not it might hurt in the in the minute maybe financially maybe emotionally who knows musically um but you know you're going to get past it and move on um even some of the big ones you know like some really big disasters on the road even then in the moment it's like you're just hating life you know why the hell did i choose what am i doing here you just sit in the hotel sometimes like what am i doing here why did I make all of these choices that led up to this moment? That's a very real thing. And that has happened on more than one occasion. I got to say, got to be honest about that. That is, and I'm sure it will happen again. You know, um, I just am able to deal with it a, a bit 
faster now and I can get to that point where I see past it and be like, oh yeah, well, you know, it's shit now, but it'll be fine yeah, tonight, tomorrow morning, you know, we'll get on the next flight, we'll go to the next gig and it'll be fine. Um, and you kind of get that. The band is like the repair kit, you know, they re repair, you go back and you get lost in it again. And I've also thought about that from the opposite direction. It's like where you, it's like that fix maybe a drug or something then you do a little bit of it and it sort of tides you over until the next time that you need it again regardless of all the negative effects it has on you so there's definitely a balance to be found there because you don't want to be doing it and it's the wrong thing to do you know you want to make sure it's it's right and you're happy and you are you know you're having more fun than you are experiencing pain um I think if it's neg always negative or negative a lot of the time, maybe you want to ask yourself some questions about why you're still why you still go back for the <laughs> for the beating every time. Um, but so far, like despite all the weird shit that's happened on the road as a band leader in my career, it's been overwhelmingly positive. And here I am still doing it, um, and will continue to do so as long <clears throat> as I'm afforded that luxury, and as long as people will come out and listen to it, of course. Um, so with that being said, I would encourage you to go check out some tour dates at yannickgustala.com. We have the whole East Coast tour of vital information coming up June and July, uh, very beginning of July. And then just a month after that, it will be recording time. And, uh, yeah, sign up for the mailing list. It's free to read. I post regularly. That's where this podcast goes out. Maybe you're already signed up and uh listening to this there at substack and that's where i'll be sharing all the updates and some demos and um yeah all the good all the good stuff as the title of the book says and speaking of new books god we are so close to the giant steps book coming out it's just been crazy with uh with being gone on the road but in the next two weeks that will be finished that will be out cannot wait to share that with you i've been using it i was using it on the road actually the exercises just to keep my chops um in shape on days off uh I wish I had time to show you this, the hologram uh, microcosm. I wish it was mine also. A friend of mine ordered it from Europe to my place. He's coming to visit and we'll take it home with him rather than shipping it to Europe. And um, I plugged it in for five minutes. That's something I think is a good test. Like if anyone saw the red panda meltdown a few years ago when I was Twitch streaming, just like plugging a pedal in and it just not doing anything like the, the microcosm, as complex as it is and as kind of weird as it can be, I guess, it really was musical without having to read the instruction manual, just plug my bass in. I literally had five minutes last night before I was running out of gas and um, I wanted to try it before my buddy picks it up and takes it back to Europe with him. And it really made some beautiful sounds in just less than five minutes of twiddling knobs and it was quite intuitive and it kind of says exactly what it does on the box, which is nice. Um, I think that would be a cool feature on some channel or in some video. Will this pet, can you get a pedal complex or simple to make cool sounds in under five minutes without reading the instruction manual? Give me some feedback on that. The main channel is, uh, it's an interesting one. I'm going to have to make a dedicated video about this, uh, in terms of, you know, I made that for their video and I guess it was somewhat controversial. I don't know. I didn't really think it was controversial. I thought it was just a little story. But it was like the, the best performing video out of the gate of the entire history of the channel and did really well and sort of boosted numbers through the roof and got thousands and thousands more subscribers. So, you know, 
as with all the research I was doing into the various ways to approach YouTube and what to do and how to grow the channel. Of course, I've been experimenting with the lesson style video, the pedal style video, the storytelling style video, all of which I, you know, is a completely honest creative process for me. I like talking about um, those things and creating those videos. Uh, but so far, kind of fallen a little flat in a lot of those categories. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Um, even with 75,000 subscribers, the last video I posted two days ago, and maybe it was because it was Easter weekend and people just weren't engaged. Got like 4,000 views out the gate. And it was a really, uh, not an easy video to make. There were a lot of layers to it. And I even played slap in it. I thought, oh man, I'm really exposing myself here. Cause I'm the, I'm the, the Mr. Like not slap guy. And, uh, it did compared to all the other stuff very poorly. So I'm still, trying to find what the solution is for that um the podcast channel this channel is super fun to do and i've got some interview we did a great interview with steve smith in phoenix on the last night of the tour um which i'll put out shortly before our next tour to help advertise the dates and stuff it was really fun to sit down and talk to steve and i got some really cool ones coming up um if you didn't check out last week's episode that was with jack roan of noble preamps great to talk to the man the myth the legend behind the world's most dominant bass preamp right now it feels like um and some very cool ones drum drummers and bass players coming up in the next week so stick around for that if you're not subscribed please do so we're getting close to the thousand subscribers and close to the four thousand hours of watch time since i started this channel only a few months ago so that's awesome um, and the clips channel is up there as well. Yannick was started clips and posting a whole bunch of stuff. Some P based stuff I posted yesterday with Jonah Smith and Blair Sinter and Bob Reynolds from a show in 2018. Just came across that on a hard drive. I was like, oh, that was a really fun show. It's nice to share some stuff where I'm not playing E to C and playing solos and chords and melodies and stuff, but just really just sitting there as a bass player and like nailing the parts to the wall, as is our job, fellow bass players of the world. Um, and on that positive note, as we think about holding down the low end, I'll uh, I'll say goodbye and uh, yeah, see you all on the next one. Mm-hmm.